My Eagle enthusiasts, it's Fairway Rolling, presented by FanDuel. Major season is here, and you can get in on all the long drives, big putts, and major moments with FanDuel. Check out live PGA Tour bets like longest drive, round leaders, matchups, birdie or better, and more. Plus, track every shot in the app and watch select par three holes while you place your bets. Download the app today and bet with FanDuel, the official betting operator of the PGA Tour. Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. You must be 21 years old or older and present in select states. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Evernorth Health services. Costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and Evernorth is doing everything in their power to make that possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best. It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that'll benefit your bottom line. It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible because they're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions, that's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. My par saving pals, today's fairway rolling. Brought to you as always by Callaway Golf. Callaway, the maker of the new Maverick driver. That's M-A-V-R-I-K. K, we don't need the E, we don't need the C because we have AI, artificial intelligence. Callaway's invested in a more powerful supercomputer capable of working faster and doing more. So for 2020, that's right now this year, Callaway is using artificial intelligence to design individual faces for each loft of every Maverick driver and fairway model the Maverick drivers you may have seen in the hands of winners this past weekend. Mark Leishman at the Farmers Insurance event at Torrey Pines and Magdalene Sandstrom on the LPGA Tour, both taking down first place with Maverick. Podcast, unlike any other. All right, my birdie buddies, my parsing pals, my eagle enthusiasts, we've done it. We're here. It is Fairway Rolling, the golf podcast brought to you by Callaway Golf and the Ringer Podcast Network. I am your starter, Joe House. This is our second show of 2020 because the golf is starting to get serious. Now we have all of the fun, silly, you know, Hawaii and 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 easy venue events out of the way. We were just last week at Torrey Pines, a very worthy winner, Mark Leishman, there with all of the great players. Rory was there, Tiger was there, and we have coming up uh, an all-time favorite tour event, the Waste Management Open, the Phoenix Open, um, and we're off on a string of of serious PGA golf. 
We needed somebody with the proper perspective for the beginning of the season. We also wanted to connect the dots a little bit between Tiger Woods and and Kobe Bryant and Kobe's uh, devastating, untimely passing. Jason Sobel of the Action Network, an OG in in the golf journalism community, um, had a story, put a story up on on Monday connecting Tiger and Kobe. And so I wanted to have Jason on, but we have a full hour plus of of Jason Sobel and I going through everything that that's that's happening in the world of golf, including some thoughts about how you might get better at doing some golf gambling. Let's get on the tee with my man, Jason Sobel. All right, my birdie buddies, now on the tee. Joining us from the Action Network, which is one of my favorite websites. He's one of my favorite golf writers. He's also a contributor to Sirius XM PGA Tour and Sirius XM Fantasy. He's been in the golf game a long time, wrote for ESPN, and that's where I used to follow him also was with the Golf Channel, Jason Sobel. What's happening, my man? Long time listener, first time guest. Is that what you're supposed to say on these things? Uh, House, thanks for having me on. I, I'm I'm honored that you asked me to come on. I am all in. This could be great. No, I. This is uh, same long time, first time for me as well. I've been a, a consumer of your work uh, for a long time, and I like very much the contribution that you've been making at Action Network because it has helped my pocketbook a little bit. I mean, there's a good crew over there at Action Network. You guys have really gone all in on golf, and I, for one, appreciate that. Thank you. We've done, uh, I think we do a really good job covering golf. Uh, I, I love the fact that we've got a handful of different voices giving different opinions. Um, and, and what I always tell people is, look, we're not going to pick a winner for you every single week. If you think that we are infallible and, uh, you know, we're doing this, uh, you know, gambling advice thing and we're going to say, hey, here's your winner. Bet on this guy. You're going to win. It, it doesn't really work that way. But like all gambling, it, stick with us for a while and, and you're, you're going to be plus more than you're going to be minus over the course of the year. I, I hope. I hope. Yeah, well, and it's, you know, the thing to me always for those of us who are um, like playing fantasy golf or DFS, you know, daily fantasy stuff, or just gambling our own green money, the, the action network, um, and the perspective you, you guys share, you and Joshua Perry, uh, are the two guys I'm, I'm, I, I track most closely. It's information and, you know, you can take it or not and, or leave it or not use it, but it's helpful it, in the aggregate. It builds on, you know, a set of, of information to let, let you go ahead and customize what you want to do each week. So I like it. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. You know, House, I, I've been with the company. It'll be two years come master's week this year. And before I came to action network, Chad Millman, who was over at ESPN, he's the editor in chief of ESPN.com and ESPN, the magazine when I was there for a long time. So we knew each other from there and he brought me over. And even before I got into this whole thing, I had thought for a long time, the next wave in sports media is, look, people are going to start gambling. This stuff's going to become legalized. It's going to become regulated. People are going to start gambling even more than they do sort of in the underground markets uh, that's been going on for uh, hundreds of years anyway. But uh, they're going to start doing it on a more uh, regular basis, uh, you know, more legal basis. And the way to break into that as sports media is, Hey, instead of just beat writers covering the team and trying to parse what they're saying into how can I use that to my own advantage, let's 
drop the subtleties. Let's be real about this and say, okay, look, I, I'm on the range covering a golf tournament instead of just, you know, so-and-so's hitting the ball really well. Let's, let's use that information to try to make us all some money and use it to our advantage. And I tell people all the time when they ask, you know, do you like to transition from ESPN and golf channel to doing this? I said, yes. I said, look, if you're a reader and we're also busy these days, and we're also consumed by so much content all over the place on social media. If you're a reader and you have five minutes to read one piece on golf, do you want to read the one that just says, Hey, here's a nice story about a guy who, you know, is playing golf out there or, Here's something that can help you make money and help your bank account this week. Which one are you going to go to? I, it's a no-brainer for me. Yeah, and and the level of engagement for folks that have a little skin in the game. And again, it can be just regular fantasy. It doesn't have to be hundreds or thousands of dollars. But like you know, the kind of engagement that I think golf and other sports leagues crave, but especially uh, applicable for golf, where otherwise, because you know the the, the season begins in September and basically is runs without interruption um all the way through the calendar year you know september to september there there is uh you know the the way to get me to invest is to give me the opportunity to pick two guys and have them go head to head i mean it's like a very unique way for for folks to enjoy now i i'm i'm really uh uh pleased to hear the point you just made about the, the, the sort of media aspect to this, because this is something that I've been talking about and thinking about over the last handful of months with, with folks both inside of golf and outside. This particular uh, idea, that is, in, in golf especially, we know so little about the, f- the physical status. There's no injury report in golf, and there's also no way of knowing unless you have boots on the ground of what a particular player might be going through at any given point in, in time. And the two examples that sort of leap out at me um, from, from 2019, I was not aware that Brooks Kepka was on a diet through the first part of, of the 2019 calendar year. Mm-hmm. And I, I had no idea why he was having you know, um, results not up to his standards in events that are sort of big, big time events would have been events like the players championship, for instance, with a huge purse, something that would have otherwise caught his attention. He barely made the cut and then finished, you know, sort of near the bottom of all the guys that made the cut. And then the same thing kind of true of, you know, after the tour championship, three different guys had knee surgery. That, and 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 yeah. we weren't aware that 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 Dustin Johnson or Brooks Kepka or Tiger Woods had lingering knee issues. I mean, Tiger kind of always has lingering knee issues, but DJ went on what felt like a cold streak, and there was no information out there explaining why it is that he wasn't playing well. And then after the Tour Championship, it was reported that he got knee surgery. It's like I would have liked to have known that the, over the last six or eight weeks that he had a knee problem. I will give you, House, a really good example. This is from about four or five years ago. I was at the Greenbrier, and I picked Webb Simpson to win that week. And on Wednesday evening, I'm walking through the lobby of the hotel at the Greenbrier, which is a five-minute walk from the golf course, and I run into Webb Simpson, who's literally kind of doing his air swing in the lobby, like working on his swing in the lobby of the hotel. And I walk by, and I know Webb pretty well, and I said, man, if you can't figure it out yet, you know, what do you do? I, you know, something like a little flipping comment. And he turns to me and he says, no. He said, I just 
pulled my rib cage, lifting my kid out of the pool. I don't know if I can play tomorrow. Now I'm sitting there going, oh my God, I picked you to win this week. I've told people, I've written that you're my pick to win this week. Now, what do I do? And it was sort of this ethical morality play. Like it's kind of, it's not really off the record because it's not like he told me under, you know, strict confidence, but it's not exactly like I'm sitting there with a notebook in the lobby of the hotel asking him about an injury. And so I went on social media and I said, look, I know I picked Webb Simpson to win. You guys might want to back off. Just kind of trust me on this one. I know some things. Uh, I can't say that he's not going to play well, but uh, some developments have happened, you know, and I, I tried to be at least a little subtle about it just so, you know, I, I wasn't burning Webb Simpson as a, as a source, as a guy that I cover, you know, I, I like the guy and I don't want to just kind of go public with everything he had told me. But then again, I now have knowledge that nobody else in the world has knowledge of. And so I remember at the time having uh, a guy, I couldn't tell you who it was, but it was a guy who fancied himself as a betting expert, a fantasy expert, a guy who was sitting at home writing about, you know, who could win that week. And he got really mad. And, you know, we went back and forth a little bit on social. He said, there is no reporting in fantasy sports. There's no reporting in betting. And I said, I I thought to myself at the time, that is so silly. That makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. In fact, there should be reporting in this area of the industry. There needs to be reporting. And and it kind of clicked in my mind at that point. And, you know, it was a, a few years later that I came to the Action Network. But really, that was kind of what did it for me is that there's so many people relying on this information that want to take advantage of this information that let's use it and let's try to benefit from uh, what kind of information we have with boots on the ground and, and talking to these players. Yeah, I, I totally agree with this. Was there any blowback from Webb after you put that out there? No, and I spoke with him about it the next day. I think I texted him that night and then spoke with him. I said, look, I said, I picked you to win this week. I told him I was up front. I said, I, I just, I didn't want to give the whole story up. So, you know, I, I didn't, it wasn't really on the record, but it wasn't really off the record. It was really this kind of gray area. And, and I really wasn't quite sure what to do. And he said, no problem. He said, don't worry about it. And, and really, looking back on it, I probably should have said to him at the time when I saw him in the lobby, he was, he was going to dinner, he was with his family. I mean, it's, there's a lot of kind of moving parts. It's not like, you know, we have 20 minutes of a sit-down interview and let me figure out what I want to do and how I want to do this. It was a 30-second conversation. And I should have said at the time, hey, do you mind if I kind of put this out there? But I didn't. You know, it just kind of all happened really quickly and he walked away and that was it. And I didn't see him again that night. Um, but I, again, like I didn't want to burn. So we talked about it the next day. He he didn't seem like he cared a whole lot either way. But um, yeah, I just I was very cognizant of not burning him and yet not burning all those people who I advised to take Webb Simpson to win that golf tournament as well. Right. Yeah. Well, so this is the thing um, in, in golf, especially where the fields are between, you know, 125 and 150 players each given week. And, you know, there are. Pot maybe you know what would you say twenty guys to twenty five guys who who have a legit shot at at winning each week. I mean maybe maybe even a little bit more, but I'd um, say more sure. Yeah sure okay. I, well I mean and Mark Leishman uh, maybe as an example he was a fifty to one shot to win at Tory. You know according to the books the Vegas books. Uh, now I did have him I did give him out last Wednesday on my Twitter as one of the guys I, well I had. 
and and I had him in my uh, one of the, my fantasy lineups, so I was very happy. I didn't bet him, unfortunately, but um, in any event, right. So if if more than if you say thirty to thirty five guys each week in a field out of one hundred and twenty five to one hundred and fifty players have the ability to win, then how are you? How how is one? Uh, sitting in our chair as fans of the game, engaged by the game, and but wanting to to you know have success amongst our pals or you know with our our pocketbooks, um, how are we supposed to take the information and shrink it down into a way that that um, you know can be meaningful for the kind of success that we want to have with that engagement and knowing who's in a fight with his girlfriend or knowing whose kid has been sick for a week um, and, and hasn't yep. been getting sleep. Th- those are the kinds of slices of information that might, you know, help me, you know, pick one guy over another guy. Now, again, I don't mean to like overemphasize. This is for fun. I, I The golf gambling is for fun. The fantasies for fun. DFS, it's all for fun, but it's, it's, part of why i enjoy golf it's it's you know my consumption of the game my my viewing uh, of it on on television is all driven by these things and i think you did a, a nice job with web i don't um need to know exactly what it is that caused web you know to to be in pain whatever his injury was but the fact of knowing that he had an an injury that's a new development right it was a new development for you right on the eve of the beginning of the of the tournament and being able to mm-hmm. have that kind of information um is kind of c- crucial um do you think in your sort of experience with golf media do you see folks um sort of boots on the ground uh, uh, more willing to talk about stuff that's going on week to week with guys? I think they have to. Uh, I think at some point, and a, a colleague of mine made a, a great point before I took this job with the Action Network. I said, look, I'm, I'm going to be writing for betters, writing for fantasy players now instead of just writing for the general public. And he said, you know what? You've been writing for betters and fantasy players the entire time. You just didn't realize it. And he's absolutely right. Whether you're a beat writer for the Knicks and you're writing about how uh, one power forward might be working his way into the rotation a little bit more than another guy, or whether you're, uh, you know, you're you're a beat writer for the Chiefs and you're talking about, you know, the the number three receiver spot is going to go to this guy instead of this guy. He should get more targets. It's all geared towards betters and fantasy players. I mean, even if you're just, hey, I'm covering the team, I'm not covering it from that angle. People are going to use it from that angle anyway. So uh, I think you make a great point there. And yes, there. There are so many things. I can tell you right now, House, there are a few players I know on tour when they travel with their wives and their four or five kids and they've got 12 suitcases and I've seen them on the road. I know. I can, I've seen guys in the airport on a Monday afternoon and I look at what's going on and say, they have no shot this week. There's absolutely no way that guy plays well. Now, can I go out and say, hey, he's got his wife and his five kids and 12 suitcases this week. So he's not going to play well. I probably don't necessarily put it in those terms, but I'll probably say, Hey, look, don't love this guy this week. I'd fade him, especially in matchups against these three like-minded, similar players. And I'd go with them instead. So uh, yes, that's part of it. And you also make a great point about if you're doing this to make millions of dollars, betting on golf and playing DFS and other fantasy pools, you're probably not doing it right. If you're doing it to enjoy the sport more, and I, I can tell you personally, for years, I didn't do any of this. I, I was a capital J, big J journalist with ESPN, with Golf Channel, and it was against the rules. Whether I wanted to or not, uh, I could not do any of the stuff that I'm doing now. Now, 
I am more engaged. I am looking at leaderboards. I am watching more golf and I'm enjoying it more because I've got a little skin in the game, like you said. And I, I think it makes people better fans. It makes people more interested in the product. And again, uh, not for millions of dollars. I don't care if you're putting in one $2 DFS lineup and you've got six guys you're watching that week. Hey, look, if that's all you can invest in what you're doing that week, fine. Go, go invest your $2, spend four days watching golf, enjoy the heck out of it. And I hope you double your money and, and make something out of it. I, I think that's fine. I don't think there's any problem with that whatsoever. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. We're, 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 both on the same side of, of the coin on this one. One thing I have a suggestion for you, uh, take it under consideration. Maybe we could do a kind of an index, a fade index where, you know, if you, if there is some of this information, because I'm, I'm really taken by, uh, what you described in terms of guys who are traveling with their, with their families, their wives and their kids. If we just put up something that like maybe had some names and and some emojis. Couldn't we do like uh, a three suitcase emojis and two kids and one like wife emoji? Then you know, okay, now that's that's a stay away. Or you could have you know a crutches emoji for a guy who you know uh, might be uh, under the weather or something, but a guy to stay away from, and maybe he hasn't come out or his team hasn't come out and reported that he's <laughs> sick or injured, but may, there's got to be a way to get this information out there. Okay, so first of all, House, I absolutely love the idea. I'm on board with it. The second, the problem with this, I wrote a piece a few months ago on how to improve golf betting. I had 10 ideas uh, on ways to improve golf betting, and uh, my biggest one, the one that I... I can't believe it hasn't happened yet. There's got to be some algorithm. Right now, you talked about playing matchup bets, and that's how, that's how the Sharps do it. The public, that's my favorite. The public is, yeah, yeah 95% of the public is, hey, I'm going to put 20 bucks on somebody to win, and I hope they win, and I make a lot of money. But the Sharps is 95%. I'm playing this guy against this guy. It's basically even money, or it's a little plus money, a little, little minus, whatever the case might be. And I'm hoping that that guy beats that guy, and based on all the analytic data, uh, they should be able to do it. Well, I want to see every player matched up with every other player. And whether it's uh, plus minus strokes, whether it's plus minus money, whatever the case case might be. I mean, Dustin Johnson minus four and a half strokes over Scott for plank, uh, whatever it might be. And, and you should be able to have a matchup bet. And in that case, if we could somehow make that happen, meaning you might have to start a book to make this happen. But if we can somehow make that happen on a given week, then you say, okay, Dustin Johnson, I really don't like this week. Wherever he's playing, I, I don't like him. I don't think he's going to play well. I'm betting 90 different players against Dustin Johnson. If I win 70 of those matchup bets, I'm going to be doing pretty well for myself this week. Yeah, that, I, I, I love it. And you can really, right now, um, you can only do it with the top guys. You can Because you only get odds. The books will only give you matchup odds. For you know, the, like the, the the top matchups, um, the top guys. Like I, I know last year I lost a boatload of money because I went on an anti cheeseburger matchup um, crusade against Brooks Kepka in the Masters. <laughs> I faded, I faded yeah. Brooks in the Masters. I bet the only one that hit was Tiger because <laughs> Tiger beat him. But I bet three or four guys in matchups against Brooks and Brooks, you know, by finishing second, helped Vegas take all of my money. But you're absolutely right. We can't be that far away from connecting with with one of these with the Westgate or or you know William Hill. Somebody's got to be able to create the platform for this and let us customize a la carte 
the wagers that we want to make and just give us odds on it, right? Absolutely. And honestly, House, my favorite bets, my favorite matchup bets are the ones that aren't the big-name players. I, you get Tiger against Brooke, quite, Brooks, quite frankly, on any given week. Either of those guys can play really well and win the golf tour and beat the other guy. It, there's, there's not much of an edge when it comes to the best players. Okay, you might say, well, this course really fits him a little bit better. It might not. But the best players are the best because on any given week, any given course, they can go out there and play better than anybody else. What I like is give me a mid-tier guy. Give me a lower-tier guy. Give me a rookie, a journeyman against another similar type of player where I say, this guy's been trending in the right direction. The other guy's trending in the wrong direction. I can really get some good odds on taking this guy against that guy. Now, if instead just one-on-one, you take, hey, here's a rookie. Here's Scotty Scheffler, and I can go take him against 12, 15, 20 other players out there who are sort of similar prices, give me that all day long because I think that's the way that we can really, first of all, I think we can do really well on it. Secondly, I would just love to see it. I think that makes it all the more interesting. Yeah, and that that makes you really invested in the guy that you're betting on or against, right? And to to, to put a fine fine point on the uh, availability of information, um, you know, the, the analytics are one thing, how a guy's performed at a particular venue, how he's been trending, all those things are important, but all, having some additional information about what might be going in, in, in that guy's life, that's, that's where the real sweet spot. Right now, if you want to fade a player, really, if you, if you say this week, Bubba Watson, I know he played well last week. I know he played well at Phoenix uh, over the last few years, but I don't like Bubba Watson this week. What do you do? You take the one matchup against him that your book offers and you just don't bet him to win, and you don't put him in fantasy lineups. And other than that, you really can't do anything. You can't help yourself by fading a player because there's really no fade out there. And, and so I want to be able to truly fade a player. And, and, and hopefully at some point in the future, like I said, uh, it, it should be available. Um, I, hopefully when the golf betting becomes bigger, then maybe the books pay more attention. Maybe it takes the PGA Tour having a partnership with a book that, start getting more involved in that kind of stuff. I don't know what it would take, but hopefully at some point in the not too distant future, those things are available. Well, let's you and I join forces. We'll spearhead the crusade and, and keep making this point loudly and, and repeatedly until, uh, the book's cave. <laughs> it's, there's a uh, lot I'm of ways just, for this to be fun. I, I'm going to get out my article with the other nine ideas I had for uh, improving golf betting and we'll get on the rest of those too. I love it. I love it. All right, my birdie buddies, quick break from this conversation with Jason Sobel. I want to talk to you about Maverick Irons. You heard me at the top talk about the new bombers, the drivers. How about these irons? Callaway started using artificial intelligence last year to design their drivers. You know that because I told you. And it changed the way people think about driver construction. Where golfers everywhere were bombing the ball because of the breakthrough leap in technology but folks are asking what about some of that distance technology in an iron well wish granted because callaway created the new maverick irons using artificial intelligence which makes them the very first irons designed by ai and they didn't do it for just one Iron. Oh, no, no, no. Every loft on every iron has a flash face cup uniquely designed by AI to completely maximize 
distance. I'm going to repeat that. Every loft on every iron with its own uniquely designed face to completely maximize distance. It allows the center of gravity to be precisely positioned throughout your set to give you optimal launch and control. Now you can bomb it with every club. The Maverick irons come in standard pro and max models to fit nearly every type of player. Birdie Buddies, a new decade of innovation is upon us and artificial intelligence is paving the way. New distances out there. It takes a Maverick, M-A-V-R-I-K, to find it. Get your set of Maverick irons at CallawayGolf.com. Callaway, the number one irons in golf. Well, look, uh, the reason that I um, reached out to you is because you put up an article yesterday afternoon connecting the death of Kobe Bryant with uh, Tiger Woods and, you know, um, sort of illuminated a lot of the um, similarities between the two and, and, and their trajectories, the rise that they had and how that happened kind of at the same, they're, they're very close in age. And, you know, as, as um, all of us sports fans out there uh, continue to kind of process the, the tragedy of, of Kobe, it made sense to me um, to think about it in the context of Tiger because both of those guys um, came of age in what I would sort of loosely refer to as the the internet age, the rise of the internet. Um, they both were were became pros in in 1996, and have lived like kind of the most public lives possible over the last uh, 20 plus years. And you know they they remain sort of uh, the the largest sports figures, you know, sort of known to humankind, like their popularity, Tiger's popularity and Kobe's popularity extends all, all over the globe. Um, and they, they are icons. And so I, I, um, wanted to speak with you about, you know, the, the way that you've sort of seen that, that connection, um, and, and the guts of, of your article. So, I don't want to turn this into a personal story, but I think the Kobe death is something where years from now, we're all going to remember kind of where we were and what we were doing when we heard the news. And I happen to be uh, back home in Orlando. I was playing in a golf tournament this weekend and we we're out for a little emergency night afterwards. And I was on the 16th tee and a buddy of mine took out his phone. He said, Oh my gosh. And he shows me his phone and you know, there's the news right there. You know, it's amazing. You know, it's just surreal to, to see that, I, you know, immediately go to my phone, like, that can't be true. And so, you know, as I, you know, obviously I'm paying more attention to what's happening at the Farmers Insurance Open at Torrey Pines and, you know, looking at leaderboards, I'm, uh, I'm kind of checking my phone through that too. And at some point I said, you know, I can't, we got to get inside. I, Tiger's going to finish up and I, I really, I can't wait to hear what Tiger has to say about Kobe. And it sort of dawned on me as I was kind of, yeah, we got in, Tiger was finishing his last hole, and we're kind of waiting for him to, to speak on air to, to CBS. And it, it dawns on me, why do I care so much about what Tiger has to say in relation to Kobe Bryant's death? You know, why not Mark Leishman, who was going to win the golf tournament? Why not John Rahm? Why, why Tiger? And, you know, I guess the easy answer is, well, you know, Tiger's the most famous 
person in the game, and you know, he's grew up in Los Angeles. He's a Lakers fan, but it's so much more than that. And I started thinking about it. And there's so many parallels, so many commonalities to Tiger and Kobe as men, as humans, and and, and as athletes. And you know, so it's it's personal, it's professional, and you know, they were both uber talented young athletes who were on the fast track to superstardom, you know, from an early age where, you know, we both saw them uh, turn professional and said, okay, those guys are going to be guys. They're going to be single name global icons for years to come. And, and that's exactly what they became. They became two of the biggest names in the world. Forget sports. They became two of the biggest names in the world. I mean, you, you ask people from, all reaches of the globe, who's Kobe, who's Tiger, and people know those names. And yet, what they taught us through their personal lives, too, and I think this is part of the story we can't just gloss over, is that our heroes aren't always infallible. Our heroes aren't, can make mistakes. And, and they did. They both did. And, and whether it says more about them or more about us, that I think each of them came back from those personal, those private issues, probably more popular than ever before afterwards, because I think we accept the fact that, okay, now we see them as mortal. Now we see them as not just some superstar athlete who can do no wrong. These are, these are men who, who have done wrong in their lives and they come back and become better people, better men, better humans, fathers, doting fathers, you know, guys who, you know, these aren't just, okay, well, they had kids, but, but these are guys who by all accounts, you know, tiger caddies for his, his kid in the junior golf tournament, Kobe flies with his daughter to go coach her in basketball games. I mean, this, these are guys who were so involved in their kids' lives. So the parallels and the commonalities, uh, I just felt like they, their lives and their careers were so intertwined for so many years that that's why, you know, if you were sitting around on Sunday afternoon and you'd watched all the Kobe news and knew what was going on. Then all of a sudden you flip over. You say, I got to hear what Tiger has to say about Kobe. That's why. That's why we were all kind of hanging on Tiger's words at that point. Yeah, it's an amazing point because I had the same shared experience. And I'll share my own story about you know how I came to learn of the news about Kobe and, and how I kind of processed it as uh, you know dumb luck would have it. I, my own self, was driving to the golf course. It was near 50 degrees here in the DC area on Sunday. And I was driving over to, to my place, um, to hit some balls for a little while. And I knew it was going to be quiet. It was like two 45 in the afternoon, two 30, two 45 in the afternoon. And I got a couple text messages on my drive over to the, to the place. And the, the messages I received were in the nature of, of questions, you know, um, is this Kobe news true? And so when I arrived, I went up to the range and took out my phone and did the, you know, checked the, the few reliable sources um, that I needed to check to confirm that it was true. And I put the phone down and I went yeah. ahead and hit balls for an hour. And then I went over and did short game for another half hour. And I kind of just needed to, to detach a little bit. Um, have that solitude for a little bit because the, the shock of it, the, the, the blow of it. And, you know, I, I'm a person, I, you know, my, my pal, Bill Simmons has been, uh, you know, front and center in basketball media 
for, for a long time. And over the years, I've been able to join him in podcasts and other things. And we, um, you know, have had a good time talking about Kobe, his legacy, his mark on the game. Simmons is a Celtics fan. I'm an East Coast basketball guy. And so we both took Ooh. shots at Kobe over the years. It's, it's not like I was an immense uh, Kobe fan, except I was an immense fan of the mark that he made on the game. And I have been, it, just to the point that you made a bit ago, so completely impressed and taken by what his next chapter might look like the things that he showed some interest in, in terms of um, media, the the Oscar that he won for the uh, the animated documentary that he did, um, the investments that he was making in, uh, you know, different kind of media outlets, and the stories that we were seeing about him getting really engaged with his kids, in particular, Jana, and, you know, it, it rekindling his love for basketball, you know, because he necessarily, it seems, had to get himself away from basketball for a little while to kind of reset who, who he was, but that she, her passion for it um, was rekindling his own interest in it and his ability to see the game through her eyes, through coaching. Um, you know, it just was such an immense blow to think about, you know, not having him around. And so I just needed to not consume any media for a while to just sort of deal with, with the shock of it. So the point you made about, you know, I came home, I watched the, the, the rest of the farmers and I wondered through the broadcast, whether anybody, whether Kobe knew, and it seemed that he didn't know cause he wasn't showing any ill effects. Um, but it wasn't until we saw the image of him walking off of 18 green and the cameras were, were within close enough proximity for us to hear, uh, you know, Joey share with Tiger the news. And, and we saw Tiger's reaction in live time. And then to Tiger's immense credit, shortly thereafter, I thought there was a decent chance that he might not do an interview because he might be yeah, me too. So, so, so blown away by it. But to his immense credit, he understood, I think, that it was important for him to say something right away while, while the whole world was really dealing with the shock of it. And he came out and he spoke with our pal, Amanda Balionis. And, you know, he just gave the, uh, um, you know, it was a short interview, but it, it really did give voice from, from, you know, the perspective of icon to icon, he gave voice to, you know, just kind of the, the fragility of life and, and what a shocking thing it is. And, you know, we've, we've, we're continuing to process it. And then he gave a little bit of a longer interview, to the golf TV folks um, later on, but it it was it clearly had an impact on him, and his perspective was meaningful to to, to me. Do you agree? Yeah, absolutely. And I thought he was. You used the word detached uh, for your own sort of viewpoint. I thought Tiger was detached in that interview. I think that uh, it was it was a little invasive. I mean, wasn't it? Like, didn't you feel kind of creepy seeing? And you know, I know that you weren't necessarily watching the TV at the time, but you've seen the replay now tigers walking off the golf course and Joey tells them and it just seemed like invasive. Like, I don't want to see that. I don't want to see the moment when tiger finds out that Kobe has died. I, I don't need to see that. And yet if you're CBS, you can't blame CBS. You can't blame uh, their producers for wanting to show that that's part of the story that they're trying to tell. And, and, and so it's just, it just felt all very invasive. It reminded me 
of the Tour Championship four years ago. Rory McIlroy won. It was a great day. They had Eagle on the 16th hole. Everybody celebrated. Comes in, speaks with us in the media, and as he's sitting there in his interview, I've got my hand raised, and I was going to be the first question to be asked. They hand me a microphone, and I'm looking at my phone. There were some rumors that Arnold Palmer had passed that night. And as they call on me, I'm looking at my phone, and I see that it's been confirmed Arnold Palmer has died. And so the PGA Tour official calls on me. I, I don't say anything for about five seconds. I can't even look up. Rory's kind of looking at me like, hey, man, what's wrong? And I, I almost want to mouth the words to him, but I, I can't tell him in that situation, you know, of course. So I just kind of like pass the microphone to someone else. And I, I think the other media people in the room knew what was going on. But Rory's sitting there looking at me like, hey, man, I thought you had a question. What are you doing? That was really strange. And yet I, I couldn't even form a sentence. There's, after that, there's nothing else to ask Rory. At that point, the tournament doesn't matter anymore. It, it's all about you know, what has happened with Mr. Palmer and he's passed away. And so after he does his whole session with, with the media, we kind of go over there and PGA tour official whispers in his ear. And then it's, you know, we have to do the whole, Hey Rory, I know you just heard this 12 seconds ago, but what are your thoughts on Arnold Palmer dying? I mean, it's just, it's, it's a little creepy. It's a little invasive. It's the same thing that tiger went through. You feel bad about it. And yet if you're CBS, if you're the other golf media that are assembled at Torrey Pines, you don't let Tiger walk away without asking him those questions. Of course you have to ask him those questions. And, and so it just creates like a, a very weird vibe, a very different kind of atmosphere than we ever see. And, and I thought Tiger uh, handled it much better in the media scrum than he did on live TV. Live TV, he just kind of went for the facts. He kind of went for, well, yeah, I just heard, and uh, I didn't know how on the course, and people were saying do it for Mamba. And it just, there was no... Man, I feel so bad for his family. I can't believe I, you know, I I am such a huge fan of his. He was a fan of mine. We shared so many times. He didn't really get to that because I think he was still shell shocked. And, and so, you know, and you know, understandably so. Uh, he just found out about that news and then sticking a microphone in his face, like you have to do it, and you, you don't want to do it, and it just creates, like I said, a a very very strange vibe. Yeah, and and I was eager to hear what he had to say because of you know that the connection it, that I have, um, and I don't think it's a unique to me, um, and it's, I know it's not unique to me because you you wrote the article that you know th these are two guys who are capable of seeing the world the same way that have such parallel. Um, kind of experiences and really did sort of come uh, of age professionally and personally in the internet age where information about their lives and, and you know, their, their, their immense successes were celebrated world over and their immense failures as, as human beings were also shared uh, worldwide. And we, you know, have been able to see how each of them, you know, came to, to grips with, with their failures and the way that they um, tried to make amends to the people that they hurt. Um, but, you know, I, I was interested. I share your view that I didn't need to see Tiger's expression when he heard the news, but I was keen to see if he had anything to say um, after he had a moment to, to, to process it. Um, because the, the similarities are just incredible. The Ringers' Kevin Clark put up a story today um about you know how it, it's an nfl story kevin's down at the super bowl 
And, you know, he shared uh, from his perspective the experience on on Sunday of being amongst the guys uh, convened to play in the Super Bowl and how all any of them could talk about for the entirety of the day was was Kobe and that, you know, in NFL locker rooms, this is uh, what what Kevin wrote, uh, Kobe was an avatar for a relentless work ethic that transcends a single sport. Uh, and in football appeals to the physical and frantic nature of football. I, I, I know we can say the exact same thing about Tiger. I mean, his own incredible work ethic and f- fanatical commitment to, to getting himself fit and strong. And, you know, over the years, we've wondered if that's contributed to the string of injuries that he had, that his fanaticism in terms of the fitness was, was a, a culprit, you know, worked, worked against him. But there's no denying the impact of tiger in the same way that Kobe had that impact, that single-minded fanaticism that informs the way that football players think about their own competitive nature, tiger and the impact that he had on the generations below him. And, you know, we're so lucky in golf that we get to see tiger compete against those generations that he, he affected, right? There are so many overlaps between the Kobe story the the career trajectory, the personal trajectory, and the Tiger story, and both of those things, his evolution. And, uh, you know, I struggle at times, House, because we in the golf world, you know, we try to make everything our story. We, we try to take, okay, well, this is in the news. Let's take some little sliver of an angle and turn it into a golf story for the clicks, for the page views, for the uh, podcast discussions, whatever the case might be. And, and I wrote in the article... This is not a golf story, but this affects everybody. Anybody who uh, was a fan of Kobe Bryant, anyone who's a fan of greatness, anyone who's a fan of fatherhood, quite frankly, could understand what Kobe Bryant was doing in the helicopter that day. He he was being a parent. He was being a father to his daughter. And so uh, I think it impacts everybody. And so, no, it's, it's not a golf story, but you have all the parallels with Tiger. Brooks Kepka came out and said that, Kobe was his biggest inspiration. Uh, Tony Finau, who's a big Lakers fan, compared it to the same feeling he had when his mother died years earlier in a car accident. I mean, this this really impacts a, a lot of people in a lot of different ways. There's no way to measure, well, it impacted this guy a little bit more than this guy, so he's more important there. We all kind of grieve and we all sort of have that sorrow in our own ways, but um, I, I guess I, I would love to hear more from Tiger when he has time to sort of process the information. And I kind of wish that Tiger had been playing this week. Not that we necessarily need him in Phoenix again, or certainly not in Saudi Arabia. That said, I just wish that somewhere there was a Tiger press conference on Tuesday or Wednesday of this week so that, okay, you know, we've now had time to process the news just a little bit. It still feels surreal. It's still sort of unimaginable, but, now that you've had time to process the news, uh, what can you say about what he meant to you and your relationship together? I think Tiger would sort of ring a bit different tone. And I think we all would in that situation. I mean, I, I certainly, you know, for anyone that I admired, for anyone that I was friendly with, if you had told me, hey, by the way, this person who was completely healthy and was living a great life, they just died. Here's a microphone. Tell us your thoughts. I, I don't know how you compose yourself to say anything, let alone, uh, you know, speak in great terms of, uh, of reverence of what that person meant to them. So I, I just kind of wish that, 
you know, and, and I guess it'll happen in a couple of weeks when we see Tiger back out on tour for the Genesis Invitational in Los Angeles, which he hosts his own event. I'm sure being in LA, there'll be a lot of Kobe questions then and I'll have time to process that information. So I, I hope that Tiger kind of understands and sees, you know, sort of the the parallels between them, the connection between them and um and, and maybe he can give us uh, you know, sort of a little inside look through that prism of uh of what Kobe meant to him and what Kobe's death means to him, really. Yeah, and I, I think I'm glad that you mentioned uh, the upcoming event at Riviera in Los Angeles, which is uh, about a week and a half from now, um, because I do think uh, that we can anticipate, you know, um, a, a lot of uh, uh, activity out of Tiger and and his camp, a recognition of the significance of of Kobe and Kobe's daughter and the families that that died, and you know, just the impact on the LA community. And, you know, I, I, I'm a sap. So as a, as a sappy sentimentalist, I'm, I'm rooting for tiger to win at Riviera. Um, I'm not going to bet on anybody else. I I just think it would just be an incredible tribute. Um, now it's, it's so hard to win a golf tournament. Um, so I'm, I'm, you know, confessing that, that it's dumb sentimentality or some other kind of emotion in me that just wants, you know, Tiger reaching his all-time career high in terms of career wins at Riviera in Los Angeles two weeks after Kobe passing um, just feels too right to me. So that's that's what I'll be rooting for. I am already right on the same page with you. I've been thinking the exact same thing. I hate to turn this story into, you know, what we are talking about with the gambling stuff earlier because I, I don't want to make it sound like, hey, I'm tipping Tiger to go win at Riviera. That said, He's never won that golf tournament in his hometown. He hosts the golf tournament now. Uh, it was just like all the puzzle pieces kind of fit together. If Tiger goes out there, maybe wears a purple shirt on Sunday instead of a red shirt in tribute to Kobe, that would be really cool to see, and goes out there and wins the golf tournament in L.A. And, and like you said, that would be number 83, the all-time record on the PGA Tour. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm right there with you. I mean, I, I again, I don't want to turn it into – uh, a, a gambling thing where, you know, Hey, we're trying to pick a winner here, but it, it would just be for sentimental purposes. Really, really cool to see. Yeah, that, that that's right. All right. My par saving pals, another quick break from the chat with my man. Sobel. want to talk to you about Odyssey golf's brand spanking new triple track putters. When it comes to putting alignment is arguably the most important part of the equation, which is why, Odyssey continues to set the standard for performance with the new triple track putters. You know all about the triple track balls because Callaway pushed those out last year. I've been giving those out, and I will give them out to you, my birdie buddies, in 2020. We are going to be doing some fairway rolling contests this year. We need to get this equipment in the hands of the people, but you need to go out and try some of this your own self. Go check out the three distinct alignment lines on every triple track putter head. It's shocking how much easier it is to get lined up. You put the ball down, it's got the three lines. You put the putter behind it, it's got the exact same three lines in the same colors. In fact, it's the same visual technology used to land jets on aircraft carriers. It's that reliable and that accurate. And once you're lined up correctly, you can focus on making a great stroke. 
with a consistency-enhancing stroke lab shaft. Get lined up with the new triple track putters at odysseygolf.com. Odyssey, the number one putter in golf. Well, speaking of uh, gambling purposes, you and I are going to do a quick preview of the upcoming Waste Management Phoenix Open uh, Wasted Open event that that is taking place this weekend. But I did want to get your thoughts real quick. Um, you know, this is uh, a topic that um, is is new news. Our good friend Jeff Shackelford uh, broke the news of this uh, premier golf league, which is a a, a very well funded, very well thought about um, new. Uh, potential entrant into the competitive golf as entertainment space, a direct competitor, it seems, in concept to the PGA Tour and the European Tour. Um, and I know, what, like the, the the situation is fluid. You know, the information about this uh, idea is sort of coming out. You know, in in spurts every couple of days. Lots of folks are very skeptical that it has any legs, but all the the sort of um, outline of it, 18 tournaments worldwide where the world's top 48 players play in 54 whole events for 10 million bucks each, each event. Uh, you know, the first two days are going to be shotgun start potentially so that, you know, the first two days, very TV friendly, you can get the whole round in, in five hours or less. And that there's also kind of a, a season long team component to it. Um, what are you kind of seeing in the way of, of reaction amongst, um, you know, the, the golf community, the golf commentariat, the golf Illuminati? Okay. So first things first, uh, before we started this interview, you had referred to me, um, as we were talking as old media. And I, I, first of all, take offense to that. I'm not that old. Uh, secondly, I like change. I like change. I like competition. I like thinking outside the box, doing new things, so I'm not against change. You know, I'm not one of these guys that will sit here and say, no, the PGA Tour has been around for years. I'm not going to do anything to the PGA Tour. I, there's no reason you can't. You know, you, you, new things can happen. This is how change occurs by uh, trying to implement uh, different measures. That said, I just feel like there are a lot more hurdles to jump over than just, hey, let's start inviting the top 48 players in the world to play our golf tournaments and make lots of money. And sure, if we build it, they'll come. I, I don't think it's that easy. Um, there are a lot of different factors at play here. You can throw more money at them. Sure. I, and yes, the top players in the world love money. They do this for money. If they can make more money doing it, they'll at least think about it. But that said, I go back to something Rory McIlroy said, and he commented on this the other day, but he was asked also about Tiger's impending record, that 83rd career PGA tour victory. And he was asked in relation to the 15 majors and which is more impressive. And Rory didn't hesitate. He said 83 wins, the consistency, the longevity, the history of it all. And I think for guys who, if they're, if they're even thinking about jumping ship at some point from the PGA tour to this premier golf league, you lose all of that history. All of a sudden you, you're starting with a clean slate. There, there is no, Hey, well, the record is for that. And, uh, you know, Sam Snead did this and Bobby Jones did that. Jack Nichols, it, it, that's all gone. Now you're starting anew. And, and I just think that for players who have such a sense of history and for players who think in terms of, 
boy, you know, the PGA Tour record, that's, you know, that's one that'll never be broken. And that's, uh, you know, so monumental. All of a sudden you say, hey, I'm going to get involved with something where we get rid of all that history. It just feels a little wrong to me. Now, some aspects of this, you mentioned the shotgun starts. I, I love the idea of shotgun starts. Why not? Why would you not want to get everything into a TV window all in the same time frame? I, I think that's awesome. Uh, having the best players in the world, yeah, it's a great idea. Greg Norman had the same idea 25 years ago. The PGA Tour stole it and turned it into the World Golf Championships, and uh, they now have four events every year that they run for the best players in the world. And it's basically Greg Norman's idea, except branded and packaged under the guise of the PGA Tour. And I would not be surprised if at some point the PGA Tour says, hey, we're going to strong arm the folks that are trying to start this Premier Golf League. We're not going to kind of let them in and quite frankly, they don't have to. From my understanding, if a player wants to join the Premier Golf League, he's basically going to have to give up being a PGA Tour member. Now, can he still get into major championships and some other events? It depends. Depends if they're sanctioned by the official World Golf Ranking, which quite frankly is part of the PGA Tour and part of the European Tour. So there are a whole lot of moving parts to this thing that I think need to be. People need to sit down and think through it before they just say, hey, more money and a cool format, let's go try it. I, I think that it's going to be a little more complex than a lot of people realize. That said, look, it, if it causes change, and even if nothing else, it causes the PGA Tour to rethink some of the things within their structure that they do and can maybe do better instead of just, well, that's how we've done it for years and years and we're going to keep doing it that way, then I'm in favor of it. Yeah, and I, I'm I'm with you. To the extent that this, um, you know, accelerates innovation, accelerates, you know, because part of the challenge and the frustration over the years as I've gotten to be sort of more of a, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like a double digit handicapper as a, as a player uh, of the game. But I really love watching golf on television. So I am a serious consumer of the product and it, it has felt stale for a while and the number of events there's just too many events. The calendar is, is, is too long. I understand the tours mandate is to make uh, opportunities available to its members. And as long as they have sponsors lining up to put on events and, you know, there's prize money for guys to go compete uh, and, 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 you know, win, win the money, then the the tour is going to sanction the events. I mean, this, this past fall, there were, uh, um, I think 11, 11, right. And they were in some new places. They went to Bermuda this year. Um, and that, it was great that Tiger could go and, and, you know, be an ambassador for the game in, in Japan. But for sure, there is, you know, got to be some kind of uh, attention given, some thought given to, you know, pu- putting the best golfers in the same place at the same time. I mean, the Tournament of Champions, which is supposed to be, you know, the convening of of great guys that that you know won from the previous year. It's missing Tiger and and, and Rory, um, but you know, so many guys win over a course of a year that it's not that hard to fill to backfill the slot. So, if if this thing you know spurs a little bit of innovation, I'm I'm for it uh, as well. Now, what happens? Let me play devil's advocate just for a second here, because I I don't know the answer to this. But what if they open this up to the top 48 players in the world and 24 of them say, I'm in. Sounds great. More money. I get to play against the best players. I want to do this. And the other top 24 players in the world of the 48 
say, you know what? I like the PGA Tour. That's where I've developed my game. That's where I feel most comfortable. I don't want to leave. Then all of a sudden, we've got two completely different factions, and we're saying, hey, we're trying to bring all the best players together on one tour. Instead, we've now completely separated and divided them, and we've got them playing all over the world, not against each other, but in separate tournaments. It, it could be, if this whole thing comes to fruition, way worse than it was originally. The, the answer to that question is which one is on TV? Because I'm not going to go out of my way. I'm not going on the internet to download this uh, channel and do this stream and all that kind of nonsense. Show me which one is on TV. That's the one that I'm that I, that I'm going to watch. I, I mean, I'm I'm a In that case, PGA Tour. I, I'm telling you, the PGA Tour is not going to uh, be not be on TV at, at any point in the near future. Well, there, there, there we go. Well, speaking of TV, uh, the the greatest golf spectacle of the season is upon us, which is the Waste Management Phoenix Open. I know you have some thoughts on some guys to pay attention to because I just saw that your story is up for the week. Yes. Uh, get, let's let's give all the the eagle enthusiasts out there a handful of names to pay attention to as they start to build their lineups. All right. Well, first of all, House, have you ever crossed this one off the bucket list yet? I have not. It's on the list, though. I, I'm I'm dying to go. I know. Right, I know. So I still. I'll tell you a quick story. So back in the day, I, I man, I I get all my jobs mixed up, but I was either either with ESPN or Golf Channel, maybe maybe I've done this with both of them, but I used to do live blogs where I, I would sit literally in these like this special section right behind the tee box on 16 where all the stadium seating is, more than 20,000 drunk fans are out there. And uh, basically they gave me a seat. The, the tournament officials gave me a seat where, uh, quite frankly, people buy them. People spend lots of money for that ticket. They had one extra one. I just sat there and I would get there nine o'clock in the morning when the first groups are coming through on Thursday morning, I would literally sit there all day for, for a few straight days. And so uh, I can tell the story now because I don't work at those places anymore. But the first day I, I got in there, I'm sitting there with my laptop. I'm ready to get going. And a waitress comes up and says, hi, can I get you anything? And I'm like, um, I, she's like, Oh, I got training. She went, you want bloody Mary? I said, yeah, yeah, why yes. not? I, There's you know, only one correct morning, answer. That's Mary. right. What? Of you know? course. Sure. I'm, of course. That's the know, answer. Why not? I, I'm, just, I'm just typing. I'm just typing into right. a computer that yeah. you know, 12 people are going to read this anyway. It doesn't matter. So sure. And uh, 12 minutes later, she came back and said, can I get you another one? I, why not? You know, it's not <laughs> Oh, no. So I, you know where the story is going. And, and at oh, some point, no. this has turned into, uh, I have become part of the crowd in Phoenix. I am not just reporting on what they're doing. Uh, they can help me writing about me and what I'm doing. So uh, it is, it's a great atmosphere. Um, you can tell, I, I will tell you, I, I, I'm now 44 years old. You, you kind of, you can tell how old you get, you know, you say, Oh, I'm getting some gray hair. I'm getting some wrinkles, whatever. You can tell how old you get by your reaction to everything at the waste management Phoenix open. I used to go there and go, Oh, what a cool party. This is awesome. This is cool. Now I go there and go, Hey guys, come on! Daniel On is trying to hit his shot here on 16. Let's let's see what, let's see what he's doing. I don't know if it's a nine or a wedge. Come on! Yeah, let's not. Let, we can't. I mean, can't mess up Betty On. Let Betty On do Betty On. I I mean, you know, at some point you just go. I I have just become too old for this whole scene. <laughs> well, I'm already too old for it, but it's on the list, so I I have to do it, and I'll I'll do it properly. It'll be a 12 beer day. Yeah, you really do. So anyway, so getting into some picks. Uh, I like a guy who's sort of the least Phoenix open guy out there. 
Um, maybe other than Bubba Watson, who I mentioned before, actually plays well. He said he, he hates the course, hates the atmosphere, and plays well every single time he goes there, which makes no sense. Uh, Bryson DeChambeau is a guy who is going to get roundly booed by, and jeered by the entire gallery out there. I mean, they're just going to they're going to take him on for slow play. They're going to take him on for science. They're going to take him on for bulking up. They're going to be yelling things at him the entire time. That said, Bryson has gained like 30 yards off the tee. He's hitting it like these monstrous distances right now, which really helps at TBC Scottsdale. We all talk about the 16th hole. The other 17 holes, um, it, it's a pretty cool course. It's a good course, and distance is probably more beneficial there than it is at most other PGA Tour venues. And uh, I think his distance is really going to work well. And there's a little karma play. I know we haven't really talked Saudi Arabia yet. There's an opposite event at uh, on the European Tour in Saudi Arabia this week. Some guys are taking blood money to go over there. Bryson was supposed to be there. Changed his mind recently and said, no, I'm going to go play in Phoenix instead. I think he gets some karma points this week. And for those couple of reasons, I really like him this week in Phoenix. That's incredible. So I, I cannot invest in Bryson until I see him successfully navigate um, a slow play warning, because by the re- the reports we saw last week, now uh, you 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 mentioned the distance thing. Um, Eddie Pepperell, who who played with him, had an all time incredible. You know, he's making an early bid for for social of the year, golf social of the year. Eddie Pepperell talked about yeah. Bryson hitting the ball forty yards past him when they were paired together and congratulating him because it meant that they, they, they had to, they didn't have to talk as much. (laughs) You hit to get past me. So you don't have to talk to me. I thought that was pretty great, but, but uh, Bryson Bryson was in contention on the back nine uh, in Abu Dhabi. Is that where they were? Yep. And, and, and um, fell apart. It seems I don't know if there was a direct correlation or not, but it was reported that he was put on the clock on the 10th hole, and we know that he bogeyed the last four holes coming in. So I need to see some fortitude. He's got the muscle, but does he have it between the ears? That fortitude is what so, I want to see. So I've got an answer to you for that. Too. I, the PGA Tour will not implement their new slow play policy for, I believe, another month or so. I don't believe Oh, you're started. right. You're yeah. right. And and so Bryson gets a whole, a whole pass here in that he can play as slow as he wants and keep getting warnings. I, I'm a soccer guy, and I keep comparing these slow play warnings over the years to continually getting yellow cards. You know, you go, <laughs> go and cleats up, spikes up, into a guy's shin and they give you a yellow card and then you go do it again. They give you another yellow card. Then you do it again. They give you a yellow card. All of a sudden you're going to be like, well, I might as well keep doing this because these yellow cards keep piling up and I get no penalty from it. That's basically what slow play has been like for the last 20 or 30 years. And now they're going to start penalizing, but I don't think they're doing it yet. And so I think Bryce will get, you know, kind of the hall pass this week. And quite frankly, Yes, he's slow. I don't know that he's that much slower. I think he's probably got a target on his back right now. There are players out there who we don't know about. You know, and quite frankly, there are yeah. probably guys out there that I don't know about. You know, we, we see the Brysons, we see the Kevin Nas because they're good players, and, and we see them in contention. Patrick Cantley is another one who's gotten a, a lot of grief on social media. They're good players, and so we see them in the last couple of pairings on a Sunday afternoon and see how long they take. And yet there are other guys out there who are just as slow. They're just not as good. And so yep. we don't see how slow they are on a regular basis. 
You're right. Well, like, let, let's talk about, you have a, another couple names for us? Yeah, so I, uh, like I said, I like the big hitters this week. Jason Kokrak is a guy that I've been on for a long time. Oh, Played yeah, well. he had a great year last year. year. Uh, a year ago, he was 21st last week uh, at Torrey Pines. I think Kokrak's ready to go out there and at some point win one. Um, Matthew Wolf is another guy. I don't think I put him in my column, but a uh, young kid won in Minnesota last year at the 3M Open. Uh, he, he's a really good young player. Again, I'm sticking with the theme of long hitters here, so I like him a lot. How deep do you want me to go? See, now now that we're doing this, I mean, I used to go, hey, you know, hey, give me a few names that can play well, and I'd pick off, like, the top five favorites. i go, John Rahm and Hideki Matsuyama and Justin Thomas, and i go, hmm, I feel pretty good about those picks. Now, though, <laughs> being in kind of the gambling industry, I'm like, well, do you do you want a 12 to 1? Do you want 150 to 1? Like, where do you want me to go with these picks? Yeah, it's, 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 we want value. I mean, everybody can pit, put John Ron and Justin Thomas in, and you should. Right. Like, if you're going to build lineups, pick put two guys who have the best chance to win. I think John Rahm and Justin Thomas have the best chance to win. But if you're building a DFS lineup, those, those two are going to consume so much of your budget. And the same is true if you do, like, a fantasy league where it's based on on a kind of a salary structure. Like, the top guys are going to consume so much of the budget. You need the, the Jason Kokrex. You need the Matthew Wolfs. You need a guy on my list, the Tom Hoagies of the world. What do you think? What do you think about this? I like that. I've got a few other H's for you. I got got a few other H's. Uh, I don't mind Tom Hoagie this week. I like uh, Mr. Roast you swing. Anyway, uh, Max Homo, who's a social media superstar in his own right. Well, uh, he won. He won our Twitter. Yeah, he won our 2019 golf golf social award here on Fairway Roland. We gave that out. Uh, at the end of the year in our superlative show, and, and Max took it down. So, unparalleled, You'll be yes. hearing from Phil Mickelson's lawyers about that. <laughs> what, from Saudi Arabia? <laughs> yeah, I, they might have some other things to be doing this week anyway, you're right. That's right. Uh, and another guy, like Harry Higgs, my other H guy this week. Harry Higgs is a guy that uh, hits it really good, does not putt it great, but um, he's going to be a fun guy. If you saw him at Torrey, that, that guy looked like, you know, he had just played 54 holes his his shirt's unbuttoned down to his belly button. I mean, the guy just, he looks like a mess out there, but he hits it really pure. He's going to be a really fun guy to watch, I think, on the PGA Tour this year. I'm so old and so incapable of keeping up with stuff. Has anybody already made the obvious Spalding connection to Harry Higgs? I, I was thinking the exact same thing. He really does. Absolutely. He's- I know. So let's, I mean, I'll take, we, you and I can take credit for it. I'm sure somebody's already made that connection. But both of those names are guys that played great last week. And, you know, we, we, we both subscribe to the view of, of, you know, how important it is to be in form. And, you know, I, I like both those guys uh, coming in and both those guys will be sort of reasonably priced. I, I, for all of the, all our birdie buddies out there, I, my own self will put up on the Twitter um, midday Wednesday, my thoughts. I'm still sort of working through some names. Tom Hoagie will be on my list, though. I'll tell you that much. Um, Come Jason on, Sobel. Midday Wednesday. So, some of us are writing our pieces on Monday night. You get <laughs> stuff out there. And then you get to sit back and read everybody else's stuff. So, oh, I like these guys. Correct. Yeah, set, That's man. right. I'm That's how it. we I'm do kidding. it, buddy. <laughs> uh, thank you very much, Jason. This was a great conversation. We love having you on. Welcome to, to your uh your debut here on, on fairway rolling. You're you're, you now have a standing invitation to come on for the rest of the year. Oh, well in that case, I'm back next week. I'm back every week. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me on. I, uh, I really enjoyed it. All right. Thanks Jason. Talk to you again soon. All right. Thanks buddy.
All right, my friends, there we go. My enormous thanks to Jason Sobel. That was an hour-long conversation that could have easily been two hours, and I don't know if you want to listen to it or not, but I could have easily done it. It would have been very, very enjoyable. Jason will be back again, I promise. Coming up next week, we will be back with another Fairway Roland recap of the Wasted Management Open and a little preview of the Tiger hosted event at Riviera, the iconic Riviera. His foundation is prominently involved. It's the Genesis Open. And I know that there's going to be a lot of tributes to Kobe Bryant. It's going to be incredible. We will be back next week to talk about all of that. Until then, my friends, let's try and hit one straight down the middle. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.